So over the last like six or so weeks, it's probably been a little longer than that, but it's been six classes. Um, three classes we focused on um, the the manhood, the the humanity of Christ, and then for three we've looked at um, Christ being divine. Um, to, so uh, kind of as I was considering like the best way to kind of wrap that up um, and also not um, kind of slack on the the historical theology piece that we normally tend to wrap up with um, I found this I found what you're gonna have looking at there in front of you the Chalcedonian definition like when you're thinking about how how he can be both fully God both fully man and how those um, realities weave together and how to how to explain it like one of the things that I think is great um, at least for me as we go through each of these um, major like theological doctrines and and then kind of as we wrap those up explore like the history of that I think one of the things that should come out to us is that um, there have been great minds who have come long before us who have put a great deal of thought into all the things that we find ourselves thinking about now right so we should um, leverage their works their efforts their thoughts around scripture to help us um, kind of ensure that we're thinking and looking in the right in the right direction here. So um, that's going to kind of be what we do today. And I'll, I'll probably just start off reading um, kind of where we're going to try to end up. And then what I want us to look at is I want and in the printout that I gave you, I don't think that it copied the really well on the places that I had kind of noted out to the side. So as we get to those, I'll make sure to read what it actually should say versus, because um, you may have a hard time just reading my bad handwriting anyways. Um, but let's start off by reading this uh, Chalcedonian definition. So this is um, this came around uh, A.D. Uh, 451, um, the name comes from the city that it happened, um, that this kind of uh, council was held in. Uh, and then um, this is uh, the long, wordy definition. I think it's beneficial to kind of unpack why it's so wordy uh, when we're thinking about um, the nature of the nature of Christ. Um, what it means for him to be uh, fully God, fully man, and this is kind of what they what they put together, um, and this has been um, the kind of the standard uh, from then to now. This is going to be one of those things that whether you're a Protestant or whether you're Catholic, we all agree on this. This is one um, that that once once all of the um, kind of erroneous ways of thinking about who Christ was were, were addressed. Um, that this type of what we're going to find here um, in this definition has has pretty much uh, held the the test of time. So I'm just going to start by reading it. You can follow along with me um, there if if you have it in front of you. It is super wordy. I want you to pay attention to this too. Like this was 451 AD. This was prior to internet. This was prior to you could go to the bookstore and pick up you know a book from every author in the last hundred years, right? Like like these these people put in a lot of thought and they they did not get lazy in their selection of words. So um, if there's a particular word that you come across as we're reading through this particular thing, they're just like I'm not certain what that means. Um, um, 
and and we don't like if we were to not cover it, I would challenge you go look it up, right? Like go dig into it. Uh, they chose these words very carefully, very meticulously. Um, and and though I might, as we're going over it, give you like like a more robust like unpacking of any particular word, like I, I, it's it's very interesting to me, and and it it's encouraging to me, like how well they thought about things and words to them. Uh, mattered as they were kind of putting these things together. So let's just pay attention to that as well as we as we go through there. So here 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 goes. We then, following the holy fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man of a reasonable or rational soul and body, consubstantial or coessential with the Father according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us according to the manhood, in all things likened to us without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him, and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has been handed down to us. <laughs> there was there that is like I want to let you know like if <laughs> how many of you like reading in front of people? <laughs> well, like that's one of those like I'm even as I read through it I'm like I'm I don't murder these words, Landon. Like this is this is not this is not easy, especially like reading it in, reading it in front of people. So so like as I consider this. As I consider this, and I think about them kind of packing all of this in together, one question that should come to us is, what brought this to bear? Right? Like, why did they come up with this particular phrasing? And this is where kind of uh, us digging into the history around what brought this about uh, will be beneficial to us. And we'll also see that some of the same things that we face as we're individually trying to work out this doctrine that we've been digging into over the past several weeks, like the same questions and the same hurdles and stumbling blocks that you might run into, brothers and sisters, that that lived long before us wrestled with these same things, right? And they thought it valuable to get together, come to a reasonable conclusion about these things. 
Write it down. Work it out. I'm sure as they were wording this together, as they were putting it together, they probably had disputes at times over the particular word that might fit best in one place or the other, right? So, like, But they put a significant amount of thought into this. And in doing so, they answer many of the places that we might find ourselves kind of going astray as we're thinking about who Christ is, what's the nature of how He's both God and man, both fully God, both fully man how he, like, right like all the things that we've been digging over in the last several weeks in in really kind of two parts right like this is one this is one person Jesus Christ right so we're going to kind of dig into that a little bit um, this morning we're going to look at three ways that um, that uh, people along the way, kind of along to leading up to um, this de- this development here, um, had begun thinking wrongly about who Christ is and how this kind of um, evolved out of that. So. And the names of the, the the names of the there are going to be three major views that we're going to look at this morning. <laughs> these these names are not easy ones either. Um, I may I may very well murder them. I will do my best not to. Um, if if you hear it and you're like, huh, what? Like no, like you're in good company because that's so. Whenever I, whenever I see these whenever I see these names too, I'm like, couldn't we come up with a better <laughs> with a better name than this? Right, and that ultimately, yeah, right, right. Like ultimately, yeah, ultimately, that's that's. Brittany makes a good point here. Like ultimately, most of these come from the name of someone that they like added some ending to to make it like their thing, right? Like an ism. So that's kind of what happens here. Um, So we're gonna look at the first one. Um, Apple. <laughs> I'm going to start off for him. <laughs> Apple. <laughs> yeah, just say it like you know it, right? Everybody's like, sounds good to me. <laughs> That's not how I feel as I read this particular thing. So just know that. Apple. <laughs> just. <laughs> this is gonna be. This is gonna. I am. This is gonna. You can't edit this out. No, you can't. <laughs> y'all gonna. I need y'all to be totally silent as my brain works, <laughs> works through this particular one. Apple. um was the one that this was. That this particular view kind of it got stuck with his name. Apollinarianism. That that's probably as close as I'm gonna as, as I'm gonna get there. Um, so this particular view and this so this man Apollinarius, Apollin Apollinaris, um, he was a bishop in, in uh, Laodicea around uh, 361 A.D. and he taught. So this is what he taught um, that the one person of Christ had a human body but not a human mind and a human spirit. Right. So ultimately, this first view that we're looking at here is that Christ had a human body, but He did not have human mind, nor did He have human spirit, and that the mind and spirit of Christ were from the divine nature of the Son of God only. Right. Um, so in so kind of the idea behind this teaching was is that is that the mind and spirit of Christ just took on flesh. 
um, but he did not have um, he did not have human mind or human spirit. Um, these views were rejected by the leaders of the church at his time. Uh, they realized, and this is this is something this is something important here, and we kind of discussed this, this as we were going through um, the the various uh, studies that we went through over the last couple of weeks. So they realized uh, that it's not just our human body that needed salvation, right? Um, it's not just our human body that needed salvation, but but we needed Christ to redeem us, and we needed His redemptive work, not only over our bodies, but over our minds, our spirits, souls um, as well. So Christ had to be fully and truly man if He was to save us, right? So like Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 would be um, kind of some of the supporting scripture for that. So Apollonian... Apollon- Apollinarianism was rejected by several church councils along the way, um, from the Council of Alexandria to the Council of Constantinople. Um, so, and, and what we're going to see, like if you look back at this Chalcedonian definition here, um, you're going to see specific wording in this that combats the false ideas that Christ was was flesh only and not human in the mind and spirit, right? So they um, they specifically point this out in the in the portion, it's the upper half of the of the text that we read previously where it says, truly God if you've got the handout, it's the first section there that's underlined, um, where it says, truly God and truly man of a reasonable, that is a rational soul and body. Um, so that's the that's the phrasing that they chose there to combat the idea that he was not of 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 human mind or soul, um, and and then it says consubstantial or coessential with the Father according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us according to the manhood. So um, as they're working this out, right? Like as they're trying to give like a like a definition, put together like a a cohesive thought around well, who do we say that that Christ is? Like what is the what should we as we draw from scripture our understanding of who he is? How can we word this out so that we ensure that those who come after us having learned from us are taught accurately and clearly that Christ did in fact have human spirit, right? That He was not just divine and that divine take on a body, but that He took on our nature, our spirit, right? Our mind. Right, so that's that's kind of the wording that they chose uh, as they were uh, as they were kind of putting the, their thoughts together um, on how to uh, defend against Apollinarianism. Yeah, so they had the script. They had the scripture. Yeah, they had the scriptures available to them. Yeah, okay, but it's just like today. <laughs> yes, we take chunks and we base all of our theology yes. on one chunk yes. rather than seeing the whole and saying, "Well, how does yes. that fit with this chunk?" It's just like taking that scripture at the present. We do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Yeah. So many people think that the fullness has already come. Yeah. And that's just how they develop theology around yeah. 
certain things that they begin to try to prove with Scripture rather than let Scripture prove them yeah. as a whole. Yeah. yeah. So, like, um, as you're working through this, right, like, it's, it's really good, and this is why I, I kind of bring this out, because I think... As if you you're gonna to have to read through it several times to make sense of it, right? Like we read through it we read through it once. I gave it to you because I think it's worth you you digging through this several times. Um, as you read through it, what you should what you should do is you should ask to yourself the scripture that we've looked at thus far, right? Like we've done like six weeks worth of digging through scripture on this. Like go back and align what they're saying here with what we've looked at in Scripture, right? Like, this this does not, like, supersede your need to dig into God's Word. What I hope this should do for you is to give you, the like, give you insight into the way that those who've come before us have approached this problem as they're digging through Scripture. And this is where they, this is where they came, like, the conclusion that they came to, right? And this came from the need to defend against these erroneous views. Right? Like, how do you, how, like, what do you do? What approach do you take if you want to teach to others? No, 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 no. He was fully man, not just man in body alone, right? Like, that he had the mind of man, right? That he experienced life as you experience it. That he had a human spirit, right? Like you do. Like, he, he's fully man, not man in flesh alone, right? How do you explain that? How do you dig into that? This is not this this is not to um, to do anything more than to give you evidence of what others have done in the work of digging through Scripture and working through these problems. Right? Uh, one thing that I, that I think this does a good job of is is com- compacting that tightly into into something that can fit on a single page that you can work through yourself. And as you run into things, if your thought process as you hit it is, that's not what I've thought, or that's not what I've, like the way that I've looked at it. Dig into Scripture, right? Dig into Scripture. Exactly. That's how they... Yeah. Like, they go to on that, and it's like, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Yes. That he might, like, anything less yes. than every violates the scripture. Yes. And so like they had a really intense like scriptural balance. They came to this through the working of scripture, right? Like they're working through scripture to to put together these ideas that are that are weaved throughout scripture, right? And they're trying to they're trying to give an intelligent, intelligible understanding of this in 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 one I mean it's a really really packed tight um, definition here, um, but as we kind of continue on, we're going to look at the we're going to no- look at the next piece here, um, Nestorianism, um, which this is the doctrine that there are two separate persons in Christ, a human person and a divine person. So this is I w- before we go kind of further. This is this is erroneous. This is not what Scripture teaches. It does not teach that there's two persons um, in Christ, but that it's one that it's one person, right? Uh, this teaching um, 
a teaching that's distinct from the biblical view and sees, that sees Jesus as one person. So, so nowhere in Scripture um, do we find um, Jesus referring to Himself in like a in like a plurality of persons. Right? We find that God had spoken of as a plurality of persons, um, but not Christ Himself. Right? So He did not. It's, there's not like any place within Scripture where we find Christ come like like the divine the divine nature. Uh, or the divine person um, like warring with the human person, right? Like all decisions that he makes, he makes, um, there's, it's, it's one person. Um, so in the, particular, in the particular phrase that we're looking at here in the Chalcedonian, it's the latter part of the second place that's underlined um, that really goes into this. Um, in in depth, well, well, we'll read that whole little that whole little section there. Um, there, this this that I've got underlined combats the next two because the next two are um, two almost two sides of the same coin, and they just get it wrong in in opposing in opposing ways. So uh, the particular uh, phrase in this where. Um, he's address where they're addressing the, these these next two um, erroneous ways of thinking um, is is this is the phrase that says to be acknowledged in in two natures unconfusedly unchangeably indivisibly inseparably the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence right so so there's a distinction that's being made Christ has two natures right he has the divine nature he has the human nature um, but he is this this finds itself in one person right pay it, I'm going to read this again because I think this is I think this is important for us to to point out right so um, that that phrase there uh, to be acknowledged in two natures, Inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures by no means taking, taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved, concurring in one person and one subsistence. Like the, the words, the words that are used there, and, and this is one of those that, that in all likelihood it's going to be worth you kind of going back afterwards, reading this again and again and again, um, kind of in, in what I would call like the low pressure, pressure situation of your home you're just sitting down and you're reading this and you're thinking thinking about it without having to worry about giving an answer out to someone um, and ask yourselves what does it mean that Christ has two natures right like what are those two natures we've literally been talking about that um, over the last uh, several weeks the human nature the divine nature but what does it mean that those natures here in the last part of that it says and concurring in one person and one subsistence right like uh, that's one of those where you're going to have to ask yourself like what does subsistence mean right like um, subsistence like I could give you I could give you several like uh, like examples of this like one way that you could think about it or another way that you could say it is just the he exists as or these two natures exist as um, one essence or one existence. Um, it's not like he could flip the God switch and be like turn on the God side and then Yes, 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 yes. It existed. It existed simultaneously as one person. And, and pay, but pay attention to the way that they phrase this because I think this is important. Is that these two natures, the two like because um, 
the 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 way that you the way that you could that you could error and and it's the way that that the next that we're going to look at errors here so like there's the idea that there's two persons and then there's the idea that we're going to come up and look at next um, that is these two natures existed separately and then combined together and the waters were muddied right so that it beca- so that his nature became something different like that's the one that we're going to look at um, that's the one we look at here next um, the monophysitis <laughs> wow with these with these words that we <laughs> that we use here um, so this is a third view um, and it's 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 very inadequate it's um, that Christ had one nature only, right? So um, we say that Christ had a divine nature and a human nature. Um, this third view here, um, monophysitism, which is literally like one nature. That's what that that's what that that word there means. One nature. Um, it would it would hold that um, the human nature of Christ was taken up and absorbed into the divine nature, so that both natures were changed somewhat, and a third kind of nature resulted out of. Of that right, so when we say that that Christ took on human nature, we do not mean that they intermingled and became something else, right? Um, so, so that's another like erroneous way that that was taught. Yes, yeah, so like one example of the way that people would explain something like that, right? Like this is a this is a, 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 a this is not accurate, right? So I want to say that before I before I give you the example that like. Like how people would describe what happened when he took on is if you had like a a um, like a jar of water right here, and I had some food coloring, and I and one and this is a, this is wrong, right? I want to say this before I even say it again and again. This is not inaccurate. Like don't use this analogy. It is not right, right? They would say like, look at the water. This is the divine nature. Look at the at the food color. This is the human nature and they would drip the food coloring into it and then in time it becomes another thing, right? Kind of like black milk and chocolate syrup. Yes, and you mix it together and now you've got a new thing. Yes, and that's not that's not what happened and that's not what scripture uh, what scripture gives us there either. I think a lot of the places where we look and we see this um, we looked particularly where Jesus is asleep um, on the boat and the storm is all around. So Jesus is tired and weary and yet he can speak and it changed everything. The same person, right? He didn't flip the switch to become God mode. It's the same person who was who was tired and sleepy, who took on flesh, who could speak and the and the storm be calm. Same person, right? Same person. He didn't have to flip to be, now I'm going to be God for a moment. Same person at all times held all of existence together, right? By the word of His power, right? While at the same time needing to sleep. This, these na- this is where we see these natures like existing, not, mud- not muddled together, not like intermingled together, but, but coexisting in the one person of Christ, right? So this is where like they would say, um, that according, uh, or the one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, and then here's where we've got the underlined piece in the phrase, to be acknowledged in two natures, 
inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures by no means taken away by the union, right? So when, when, when he took on human nature, it did not take anything away from his divine nature, right? But rather, the property of each nature was preserved. So we say he's fully God, fully man, right? That's, that's that. Like when we say that, that's essentially what we're saying here. Is that both natures are preserved, right? He's, he's, he took on, like, flesh. He, he, he became man. That did not make him less divine. These things exist concurring here in one person and one subsistence or one existence, one being um, that is in the person of Christ. Not parted or divided into two persons, right? He's not two persons. He's one person, one and the same Son, and only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him. So, you're, you're yeah, I was just like thinking about the temptation of Jesus. So, can you expound on the temptation of Jesus, a fully man and fully God? I know that, that's yeah. elementary, but it could help all of us, like cement the idea of the two natures being present there. Yeah, so God can't be tempted, right? Like Scripture tells us God can't be tempted. Yet Jesus was, Mm -hmm. right? His divine nature was not, right? His divine nature was not. His flesh was tired and hungry, right? And we see He Himself using Scripture to combat the temptation, right? Right? So we, we see His human nature not falling to that temptation, but doing what we should do when we face temptation. Right? Right? He does not now like, I'm going to like flip the God switch and, and now it's the divine portion is going to take over here like this one person who the divine nature was never tempted. His human nature was tempted was tired, was exhausted, was hungry, and found itself doing what we do not do when we are tempted. Holding strong, right? Not not bleeding over into the divine as a crutch, right? Do, do, we, do we understand what I mean by that, right? Because like we would say, well, how would he not in that moment? There was no bleeding over of the human nature to, to crutch on the divine nature there. He was hungry like you would be hungry. He was exhausted like you would be exhausted. Right? He was tempted like you are tempted, more so than you are tempted. Right? More so than you are tempted. Because you, under, under load of temptation, sufficient temptation, you break. You crumble. Right? He can take the load that you cannot and press on through it. He's been tempted more so because of that than any of us could understand. The same way that if you've ever worked out or maybe you've jogged a mile... Um, you, you've jogged a mile or walked a mile, but you don't know what it would be like to run a marathon, and then you see the guy that runs a marathon in two hours, right? It's like so far beyond, like you might know what it's like to jog, right? 
That might be your the weight, the stress that you feel, but you've got no clue what it means to go so much farther. Christ in him, in his temptation was the one that does not exhaust when you exhaust or fail when you fail. Right? So his temptations, all of them, outweighed yours by orders of magnitude. Right? And yet he did not fail and he did not need crutch on his divine nature. There was no intermingling there, right? Inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved, concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but the one and the same Son and only begotten God, the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning Him. Right. Um, so as as we like look at these types of these type, like the outcomes of these types of um, like really densely packed phrases. Like one of the things that I want us to get from this is that this was not just like one person once upon a time that sat down and penned this and they're just they're, this is just because they were brilliant that this came out but this is this is through the pressures that the church has endured and through the external and internal trials that things like this have come come out of it right like there were the what was what leading to this densely packed definition um, that we can lean on um, to to help kind of shore up our understanding of who Christ is. Um, this came because the church at various points along the way needed to answer false views of who Christ was. Right. right. So so through those trials, um, through that. Pressure. These types of these types of jewels kind of come out, and that's the same. It's the same for us individually. Like as as we're pressed in on, um, whether it be the trials of your life or, or whatever it may be. Like if you find yourself placed in Scripture um, in time, the working out of those trials is ultimately for your good, right? Like ultimately, you get a better understanding of who He is. Like this came because trials came, right? Because those false views arose and you needed that pressure now was put on the church to answer that. And because of that pressure, good came. Better understanding Came. Because it's important to think rightly about him. Yes, yes. To, and to think deeply on him, right? And this, When you go back, like, you know, like a bird's eye view over history, and you see that God's providence is in the big picture of the end of yes. Revelation, that every tribe, every, yes. you know, and so the importance of, like, we, we think of this as just being some, like, happen chance that they were struggling with those yeah. definitions and those thoughts in the church but like church history yeah. is like we a lot of times we glorify things like the printing press with yeah. the men and we go oh because of the printing press we have the bible yeah yes because of the printing press we yeah have, but because of these things that happen that's why we believe while we're in this yeah. church 
Yeah, for sure. So I, I'm a practical thinker. Like I always try to see how it fits into what's going on in my life today. Yeah. And that's really true. So, so an- another kind of practical takeaway from this is a lot of times, like in the culture that we find ourselves in, especially those who might not be believers, that may be, that you may be in their, in their circles, or they, maybe they're even family members who would like come at you and say things like, well, it took 400 and something years for the church to figure things out. That's, that's not that people weren't thinking rightly previously, right? Like this is 451. For them to answer this and to answer it as they've answered it, that's because pressures have come that have required them to now formalize what they were doing in informal ways previously, right? Like if they were all going 500 different directions, all of these um, all of these councils where where these types of solid understandings came forward afterwards would have been nothing but a mess, right? You don't get in a room together, 500 people thinking 500 different thoughts, and get one consistent thought out of it, right? The reason that we can find these places along the way where people who came together from, from the church came together to hammer out these ideas is because all of them knew truth could be found in the Word. So they came together, they hammered these things out, and this kind of thing came out of it. And that to me is, like that's encouraging. So when we find ourselves battling particular battles that we find ourselves in the church fighting today, particular ideas that are coming up, like we get together, we get formalized understandings about these things so that we can then push back the darkness We've been talking, again. We're studying Yes. And this is contending for yeah. faith. Like, this is exactly what Jude yeah. was talking about. Like, these false teachings that infiltrate the church that on, like that may not even seem like a like a big deal. Like, But it is. Yeah. Because it's important that we think rightly about who God is and, we, and that we encourage others yeah. who are being led astray by false teaching. Yeah. Even, even like false teaching that flies under the radar, like some sort of, or it may seem small now, yeah, harmless liberal theology, yeah, like that can lead us slippery, slippery slope yeah. to to dangerous thinking, yeah. Like it's important they didn't contend for the faith with like sword and gun, like they yeah. contended for the faith with their minds and encouraging others for right thinking, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that like that should encourage us today to know that we're not the first generation, um, we're not the first church that's that's needed to combat um, erroneous thinking from within and from without, right? Um, and we should be encouraged um, that they did it with far fewer resources than we have available to us today. Like I think that cannot it cannot be understated. How, how much better positioned you are here and now with the access to resources and information that you have um, compared to what they had at their disposal then. Um, we, are, we are much better prepared, should be at least, um, so long as we don't get lazy um, and forget how to use our minds. Um, so with that, we'll, we'll close out.